0: Welcome to Well Played Podcast, a show on all things playful and joyous in education. I'm your host, Michael Matera, 6th grade teacher, author, and motivational speaker. And Well Played is part of the On Podcast Media Network. And today, today we have a super enjoying, like awesome, like the people cried for it. We are talking with John Meehan and the two of us are going to try to unsuck Monopoly because you asked for this this is what you wanted us to do because last time we promised it and of course didn't deliver it and here we are trying to deliver on unsucking monopoly this is this is gonna be a good day there john
1: it is amazing i'm so excited the people have spoken and i'm pumped to be back in the arena with you today to talk about ways to change the game on maybe a game that everyone knows and everyone has said man i wish this game just sucked a little less so we're here for it i don't know how much i'm gonna do with teaching but i think that by popular demand, we've earned the right to dig deep into into this one today.
0: I agree, and uh, so I I, I don't want to like waste any time. We had the last episode where we really talked all about the this is horrible, but I do want to point out <laughs> that, you de- said
1: that. <laughs> designing
0: a game, I think is best uh, done like baking a cake, right? I think we 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 really should start from scratch okay. I just want to say, instead of rummaging through the garbage bin like we're about to do today
1: Whoa, whoa, alright, I'm going to stop calling Monopoly not Garbage Bin Here's what I'm going to say, I think we have to reclaim the spirit of what Monopoly is designed to do And in the spirit of Monopoly, I think we can design a baller game like, like, In 30 minutes, I'm going to walk away wanting to make a paper version of this by the time we're done I think if we've done it right today, it's going to be like, that's what that game could or should be I'm in!
0: he's in all right everybody i'm ready to see how we can make this dumpster cake presentable so let's get started
1: all right let's go 50 ways let's make it happen so i have i have things i wrote down immediately but let's talk about monopoly i think if you start with the why and if you always go back like in good classroom design and good instructional design always why are you teaching this not how or what but like why um that to me is a big piece of any unit plan any lesson plan i think monopoly is designed to teach us about uh capitalism about investment strategies, about playing the stock market, and if we tie in elements that are spiritually aligned to those things, I don't think we can go wrong. It is designed to be a cutthroat competition of like mowing the other guy down, but it's also be some sort of fun about speculation and trying to you know play the odds of you know strategic investment. I think there's some cool things we can do and walk away feeling like you're not just a little doggy on a little space, but like you're the big dog on the yard when you're you're running the uh, you know the luxury taxes or whatever that looks like
0: so i'm going to say that the original why though i think was to teach about kind of the unbridled capitalism leads to just sort of yeah. soul-crushing right. society <laughs> so. but I think we
1: all learned that lesson now okay so can we re- recapture the spirit of if monopoly is designed in its current incarnation to get kids excited about buying and selling investing and trading could we do that with okay you
0: know let's well, go we will move forward with that belief that understanding <laughs> Uh, so I I would say if, if we're talking about it being a cutthroat competition, one of the, one of the house rules that I think makes the game suck more. So if we're going to unsuck it, I think we got to get rid of things that infuse more capital in the game. So that whole like free parking, lots of people do that free parking thing where all your fines go in there and then whoever lands on it, it's kind of like the lottery and you just sort of won all this cash. Yes. I also feel a little bit the same way about possibly the free
1: 200. Oh, I, I disagree with that, but I have so many things we can fight about there. Hold on. The first one I agree with, and here's why, because that influx of cash just artificially elongates the game. Mathematically, you've been eliminated because you don't own property, but you just have a lot of money, so you just have a chance to pay rent, and you get to lead by a 1,000 cuts. So I agree. Get rid of that house rule done. But why would you get rid of that $200? There's a payday in life. You need to kind of go around the board and make a little bit of money. Otherwise... No
0: it's yes. oh if if i mean if we're really moving forward with the way you said the spirit of like we're teaching kids to be real estate entrepreneurs investors this kind of thing payday comes from your businesses not from some magical fairy that drops it on the edge so we haven't got <laughs> we haven't gotten to this but like hoping that we're going to change the game of monopoly and how i make money so assuming yeah. we make the making money a little, I don't want to say quicker and easier, but the, the, but this idea that you don't necessarily need whole sets, we can get into ways to change up how you get paid from the board, but I'd rather have that payment happen from the board through sort of business opportunities, or maybe like an additional of like a stock market. So you can, you can infuse more cash through the proper mechanics as opposed to you did a lap around a really big board.
1: Okay. So what you're you're not saying, get rid of all money. What you're (laughs) saying is getting rid of this free money that comes up because reasons. Yes. Because I like the idea, like when you play the game of life, there's a chance if you're the police officer. I think anytime anyone spins on the dial, they spin a 10, they get a speeding ticket and they owe you a fine because you're the cop and you catch them for for that. But there's also a stock market element to the game of life where you can invest in any one number on the spinner and you buy that stock. So if anyone spins a four or spins a six, you own the four or the six and they have to pay you money. I like that. I think that's a cool way to kind of make Monopoly more you know, engaging, because then you're constantly watching people. Oh, did you roll a six or did you roll a 12? Did you roll, you know, a four? Um, And if I could invest in, this is a strategic play with how I would spend some of my money. You don't just make money in speculating in in real estate. You could also make money in the stock market. That's a great way to to bring more players in. And then there's a strategy element, too. You don't only have to buy what you've landed on. You could, in theory, I mean, (laughs) a very bad American capitalism thing, but you could sit in jail and still watch your stock market return all of those uh, pluses for. You don't even have to move around the board. I like
0: it. I like that. So, I mean, I definitely like that. I think adding well, one that we just sort of both sort of popped out there was some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of stock market, right? Some sort of way that you can sort of buy and trade. Uh, I think pushing that even a little further, let's go. I think having the stocks be the companies that are there. So instead of it being solely a property, right. And like John bought boardwalk, there's nothing I can ever do. I can never get boardwalk from him. If there would be like a back door where like I could possibly buy more shares in his company, right? So the shares aren't the only thing, like he could just buy it and build it. Maybe do what, real companies do he could choose to make it go public or not or maybe so many have to go public i don't know the exact rules but if he goes public he gets an infusion of cash so that's again I like that showing like a reason that. why you get this infusion of cash
1: maybe instead of mortgaging where you flip the card over in a one time thing you get a thing it's like no you can make a, a, IPO. a public offering an ipo right and then the ipo everyone on the board has to pay you 10 bucks or or you get 10 bucks from the bank whatever it looks like and it's cuz i'll be honest michael i'm 30 and and I'm not entirely sure how the stock market works, so <laughs> it would be great if I had a game I was playing from Jump Street. like, oh, so that's what it means to invest my money, and not just in a bank, but like in a company that could yield dividends, and if I'm feeling like, hey, that stock is going down, I have the right to cash out my stocks or trade in and and pivot, and that's a cool way for kids early to get a feeling of, uh, it's not just a race to see who could get the blue square first, It's there's strategy here, and you're never fully out of it. I think that's where Monopoly loses so much, and Jeopardy loses too, because like you figure out quickly there's no way back into it, and you tap out. So many classroom games need to be built with the idea that you're constantly inviting players, hey, adapt, overcome, play, again, again, again.
0: Yeah, so we have this idea of stock market. Then we even took it a little further, maybe have it be where you could have some takeovers, and that would be I a way to this. get property, which I think I also would— like the- which I think would go with the original premise of the game, the actual original premise, the soul-crushing, like John has Boardwalk, he's super excited, he built the hotels on it, it's worth a bajillion dollars, and like, whoop, like Susie just bought the rights to it, and she actually owns 55% of the company. It's So I like that,
1: and it does sort of, you know, make it a little bit more equal distribution of, but also a frustration of, oh, this is how capitalism works up against investment. So I'm thinking uh, also, and maybe this is back to the, the spirit of the original game, um, I do like the idea of player bonuses to start, which is a hard thing, um, but I, the Oregon Trail game does a good job of that. If you start as the banker from Boston, they give you X more dollars, and I don't think I ever played that game as anything but the banker from Boston, because why would you make it harder for yourself, right? But there are people who love playing games at that epic level, that legendary level, so it's this: okay, when you're starting your game Monopoly, do you want to be, and this is so insulting, I apologize to our listeners who, who come from these places, but like, are you the trust fund kid who came with a lot more? Maybe if so, you start with three properties at drawn at random? Or are you the uh, person who's, you know, Hey, I've just finished college. So I come with a little bit more, uh, earning potential, future earning potential. But you know, if you kept it going like, every time you pass go, then instead of collecting $200, maybe you collect $220, whatever it is, just those moments where it says early, you make a decision and that will influence your early gameplay, not your whole gameplay, but your early gameplay. I thought that'd be a cool way to, you know, cause then there's a functional difference between picking the dog and picking the hat or picking the wheelbarrow. There's something about it that says, nope, based on the type of player you want to be, it's going to change the type of strategy that you have.
0: I like it. I like that. Uh, I think variable player abilities is huge. I think in a lot of the modern board games that we have, you see that kind of differentiation between different players. I think if you could make it I don't know. I mean, like I said, we're not going to spell it all out here in 30 minutes, but I think if you could explore that idea in which I liked your Oregon trail example, because we could all choose to be the banker. Right. And so if it was like, here are these 10 archetypes and really all of you could be it. it doesn't matter. So then, you know, so you'd have to make the bonuses something it couldn't be the three properties, for example, because if we all chose that, like the board's done, but something where like we all have a similar choice set, but like, John's making a different choice than I, and that's going to like, produce different results throughout the game. We each, we each have our own cheat, if you will, right? Our own And I love bender. the idea that
1: you say in your book, you know, the more rules in you have in your classroom or in your game, then the more things you have the ability as a player to break. Like, oh, for every new rule I'm introducing, you have the ability to say, but every, this applies to everyone, except you, banker from Boston, or except you, farmer from Kentucky. Um, and I love that idea of just that variability. You were talking offline about your love of games that have just that element of like chaos and surprise in them. And that's cool that someone says, ah, just kidding. And they drop that trump card on you. And it's like, oh, and the whole thing kind of falls apart. I love the idea of in um, the game. The way it's supposed to be played is if you don't purchase it for whatever the price is, um, it then goes to an auction. But it never says what that auction format has to be. And we were talking about uh, that game you told me about QE. Oh, yeah. Um, So can you talk about have the QE mayhem mechanic here, because I think that's an awesome way to introduce an auction into Monopoly that would introduce so much fun. Almost where I would not buy stuff just to see if I could QE my way into owning that property. Can you talk about that?
0: So, QE is a great game uh, and it stands for quantitative easing. It's the idea of the government just printing more money. And so, in this game, you're auctioning off these like industries and you're just this giant country investor on these things. But as such, there actually is no money in the game. Like, you, you don't have little certificates that say how much money you have. You can spend whatever you want because you're all representing these nations. Like, you can be Great Britain, you can be America. Really, there's no difference between the nations. But the idea is a nation can print its own money. So uh, for this QE, this thing comes up like, hey, we're investing in the tech sector. And I really want that tile because it does what I need it to do in the game. So I'm just going to write on this placard how much I'm willing to pay for it. And I, I'm going to say, like, I, I'll pay... 17 million and like that's a lot or is it who knows john could write down he was willing to pay 1.1 billion dollars okay he's going to win it compared to me right but now that we've set the game at the 1.1 billion level because this is just made up the next round when i'm choosing to buy something i'm not going to put 17 million because in our game 17 million worthless because we're we're playing in billions Next game we play, we could play just in $100 bills. John could say, I'm only going to spend $112, and I'll win it with $17 million, and either John's going to go up to the $1 million dollar level, or we're going to play the entire game in the $100 level, right? Or the trillion dollar level. It, it doesn't matter, but we kind of set this pace, and it's it's sort of fun. And if we had QE-type auctions where you could just sort of write down any number, it would be an interesting change to the game, for sure.
1: I think it would be brilliant, and the thing is, because it's a double blind, like, I don't know what you put down, you don't know what I put down, until one, two, three we reveal, and in a two-player game, you'd have to do that, and a third-party banker would just be the broker and says, oh, Michael wins it, because Michael put down more. But we don't know what Michael paid, but I love the idea of it being even a blind auction instead of a face-to-face auction. If you have a fixed amount of money, everyone starts at $1,500, okay, this place is now up for bid. Bid whatever you feel comfortable paying. I'm like, I'll pay $4. You're like, I'll pay... $2,000. Well, we don't have $2,000. I can put uh, $200, $700. You're putting all that cash in, banker says, all right, Michael takes it, to the tune of $700. And I'm like, wait, you outbid me by $698? Well, you're a chump. And in that moment, it's this strategic, you don't know what other people are making investments on when you're buying real real estate. They're outbidding you, but you don't know by how much. And I think that's a really cool way to introduce that chaos element into a game. So it'd be a fun way, again, like a small tweak that you could do without too much uh, global overhaul the
0: game. All right, my next one that I am super excited to introduce because I think this would fix monopoly for me big time. Like I I would want to play it as John said like I'd want to go make this is one of my favorite game mechanics in board games I play is this this idea of worker placement. And my second favorite worker placement is you put this guy down on the granary to, like, make wheat or whatever. But I made that choice instead of putting him on the lumber mill to make lumber, right? And you need all these resources. So that's one of my favorite mechanics. My other one is area control. This is where you're trying to, like, own certain parts of the board, but you don't want to super own it. Like, if I own a spot with 27 pieces, like, and the next competitor has one piece there, so I have a 26- piece lead. That means I like wasted 26 pieces. I should have spread those out on the board and sure. I could have like owned more stuff, right? So, one of my biggest complaints about Monopoly is actually the the idea of a monopoly is so hard in that game and it and it's to me it it, it starves the fun because the fun is buying these houses, seeing like your property grow. I love that growth feeling in games. So what I propose is Take the, the the concept of monopoly. You still need that idea of owning like an industry. But let's separate it out. Let's have that big center space of the board be various sectors. And instead of only being able to buy residential type properties, let's make them several different things I could build. So instead of just houses and hotels, have, I don't know, six, seven, eight industries. That's then, great. hear me out each leg of the board so you have four legs around that board be whatever you want to call them neighborhoods states regions countries whatever and your industry depending on where you are on these tracks you can get different thresholds of bonuses so they'd be multipliers so your card could be like you pay one x oh but if you're the only one in the construction sector it actually times that by two the other thing this frees up is I think it makes real estate, true real estate. If we took away all the colors on the board and they were truly just squares in which I could buy and the monopoly is the industry, not just this happens to be three spaces on the board, right? You could put limits to how many things you could build on a spot. So if I really wanna like have my competitive edge, if I wanna be Amazon and truly be the biggest you know, seller or Alibaba is I think the world's biggest seller, online seller, then I need to buy a property, some property on this leg of the board because it extends that, like it's, it's that area control. Like now I have, I'm in the tech sector in four different legs of the race. That puts me right. out of a certain multiplier, but I'm not trying to cobble together these stupid three pieces of property to only put houses.
1: Which is arbitrary because if, yeah, right? Like in a, in a, in a, global monopoly you need to be in the sector you don't need to be in a physical space right and right. and to be in three and four different regions i do really like that and I, I see i hear joy in your voice for the first time talking I'm about. i'm excited
0: story. by this that would be
1: exciting because i
0: love the growth right because now and right? also the choice you'd have these like five six industries oh john's already in tech do i compete with john's to pull john's price point down and then again, think about snapping these other things. If we had investments, do I just buy his tech company? Because then it right. it does put me in sort of the or do I go? Hey, well, yeah, no one's done it's, the it's, construction possessions it's of companies.
1: It's, it's it's strategically saying, hey, that guy's getting too big. We need to buy him out before he gets any bigger than um, we'd also talked to all, uh, before we went online about the idea of if I own boardwalk, but you own a parking lot on the boardwalk. Like there's nothing to say that people could not invest or buy smaller things on those communally owned spaces, those bigger spaces. Like, hey, uh, yeah, John happens to own the biggest hotel, Jenkinson's Pier on uh, you know, Point Pleasant Beach, but that's not to say Michael doesn't own a parking lot. That's catching a few bucks every now and again for it. So if you're the first person who lands on it, maybe you lay claim to it as the big guy. But the second time through it's, okay, I owe the landlord or something, but I can set up a small coffee shop here, or I can set up a whatever it is. And those small things can be small revenue uh, streams as well. I like the idea of diversifying your portfolios, right? That you're investing not just in tech, but you're also in, I don't know, education, or you're also in finance, or you're also in, in agriculture. Because it really does show people the value of getting a stock portfolio that's a monopoly where you're like, I'm Kraft Foods. Just kidding, I also own the New England Patriots. Like there's something about being a big company because when we trace them all back, there's, like, five big companies in the U.S. I think that's a really cool way to, to have that. Um,
0: I love yeah, it. Yeah, man. See, this is already <laughs> I, sounding better.
1: I, uh, I like the idea of um, – and, and this is very, you know, egalitarian. But I think the idea of you could pay to play if you wanted to uh, on any given turn. It's your turn, Michael. But strategically, it doesn't make sense for you to want to play right now. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to forgo – This turn, but it's going to cost me $100 because I'm right where I need to be right now. I don't want to do anything further. And you're paying for the privilege of sitting out that turn. But you also lose the ability to like collect or whatever it is to spend the goods and bads. Because I think at a certain point, the game does become a risk reward. That Like every time I roll, I'm just at the mercy of these dice. How much would you pay then this turn to not have to roll those dice? And that could be a really cool variable to back end.
0: I have a bit of a solution I want to propose here. We had talked about early on, like having player powers or whatever, unique player powers. One of the other things I think that's missing from Monopoly, if it's truly talking about the business world, and either that's finance, like we were talking about, but the other piece of the business world is running a business, having employees. So what if you had five or six archetype? employees you could buy and you could buy multiple of them or hire multiple of them I should say right and there'd be a certain benefit so like one of them simply easily put would be that dice manipulation right so we could have such you could hire so many workers to allow you to on any given turn change those die rolls so it's like uh, I, I rolled a five but I needed a four or whatever boom thank goodness I bought you know, my marketing team right. that allows me to spin the die a little bit differently. Yes. yes. Right. I and, love it. and I've invested in that marketing team to, to do that. Or you have
1: insurance and an insurance gets you a re roll, right? Like, and, and again, talking about pay to play, like, Hey, before you start your turn, Michael, there's a, there's a uh, like pandemic, right? You can move things or you can redistribute resources. You can trade stuff. Like before you start your turn here, do you want to level up any of your skills by hiring new employees to your fold or your company? And it's, Oh, if I'm a level four, I don't know, marketing team, a level four gives me the right to do one reroll every time I go around the board. That's awesome. But maybe if you, you kind of trick out your, your avatar, now your car, instead of being the level one car, now it has like, you know, a new fender on it or something really shiny and, and like two, you can see it almost like Legos, be a visual representation of their growth that says, all right, uh, the game of life is a good example. I have four people in my car. Because I have four people in my car, it would cost X dollars more to eat out at a, a fancy restaurant. But I love the idea of leveling up skills and says, all right, whatever avatar you have then even has its own customization. So, hey, I'm a level four hat. I went from the baseball cap to the the big you know, uh, top hat to now I have like this, this dunce cap or whatever, whatever it is, like something that's fun and exciting Tops that says – I guess to realize the dunce cap is, is probably where you would start at the low end. I and mean, we wouldn't do that in the 2020s. It would be more of a 1950s mechanic. But um, something about it that says I have a visual representation on the board that I'm getting stronger. Like if you have a king in checkers, it's two checkers stacked on top of each other. And you're like, oh, they gain new powers every time they invest in those things. And you could say, hey, for this turn, you could either buy property or you can invest in you know, human capital, invest in the stock market. And that's a great way to say before you even roll the dice, there's three or four things you can do on your turn. There's more strategy, there's more gamesmanship, there's more long game. And the variable player powers make a really incredible uh, end game scenario. We're like, hey, look, I have a level four marketing team, so I can go ahead and re-roll a dice here. Just kidding. I also have the ability to draw two extra chance cards because I have invested in politicians in the area. And then you talk about the monopoly of being involved in politics with government, and it's like, that's so cool. There's so much to do with that, and it's a real teaching uh, tool in the process.
0: All right, on that level, because you brought up chance and community chest, I have a few things in that area I'd like to improve.
1: I have a lot of opinions, let's go. All
0: right, my if I'm gonna unsuck it, I think one of the things that's missing from Monopoly, you gotta remember, while in our discussion we're talking about starting a business, we're talking about being this young upstart, right? But really the idea of Monopoly is you're making a giant, right, you're making something that just controls an industry, a huge sector, right? So with that said, I want to replace at least one of those decks with uh like governmental policy deck. And this this would give a chance for people to sort of lobby government and whoever has like the most lobbyists kind of have most sway, like most votes, if you will. Whew, okay. And what whoever has the most lobbyists or whatever, maybe could set the agenda. Maybe they draw the top three cards and say, we're going to vote on this one because it benefits, this one, not those two. it benefits See, my industry the most.
1: So I'm going to back up real quick and say that this would if these changes early would have helped me learn the stock market. You know, I live in Washington, D.C. Can you explain to me what politics is? <laughs> because everything you just said, I'm like, that's so much better than everything I've just lived through. Like, I'm watching the news I'm like, is this true? I don't know if this is real or if this is entertainment. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of Americans who have who, said, you know, I, I was told how to do basic mathematics, but I don't know how to balance a checkbook, right? And I think there's something about monopoly that could be a really cool teaching tool for like, hey, guys, here's how corporate interests get tied up in politics, how get tied up in big companies, how get tied up in international trade, and like that these waters get murky when we just hear these vague, faraway countries we don't understand. It's like, oh, that's why foreign interests are important to understand in a global economy. And in a new era, if monopoly is about capitalism and the, the benefits or the joys and the struggles or setbacks, these are necessary conversations to have because we're not in the four walls of our country anymore. We're talking about bigger, you know, more, more serpentine things that have their, their, their arms and everything. And if we could stay on after the podcast and you can explain to me how politics and lobbying, that, that'd be great. I appreciate so it. So
0: here's like a quick example of how I could see it working. Keep in mind all the changes we've made thus far. So let's say you had these different sectors. Let's say John is heavily invested in like the construction sector. And I have the most like lobbyists or whatever. So I draw those top three cards from sort of the governmental policy deck. And I see one of them is like a a bid to like redevelop our highway system. And whoever is like in the lead of the, the, the sector could win a huge contract. Because he's the biggest in that sector, they're gonna the government's gonna go with him, not me. Well, I could bury that and just be like, we're not doing that. Or I could say to John, "What's in it for me? Like, I can make this happen, but do we form a little bit of an alliance? Like, when right. you and get to drive drug- that, that
1: thing, of you need to trade me your go to jail free card or your get out of jail free card, or uh, you know, like those those backroom politics, those side deals that happen, which happen in every game of Monopoly. Okay, you can land on the greens three times, and you need to give me that yellow card, like." that i mean like that's how, how dirty money gets into politics i think that's it we would be teaching a lot of things about the the joys and uh ills of capitalism through the process
0: which i think was its point and then also don't you think like you see how many choices are happening now in our version of the game you can you can build kind of anywhere you can choose a sector you can choose your avatar and like the upgrades within it. You can choose whether or not to sort of move or not. You could invest in maybe different employees that give you a different like hack, if you will. Now we're talking about a policy deck that affects everyone Everybody on some level, we'd have to figure out how the voting works. Like maybe you, I mean, this is going to sound horrible, but maybe you could buy or acquire like votes. Maybe that maybe that would like. be the PR person. You could really put a spin on what national, like the national pol- pulse is. And like John's invested in that. So he hasn't invested in so many accountants that make him cheat, like how much he has to pay. Uh, but he's invested in sort of setting the national pulse. So now, like, I want to be allied with John because he his vote's going to count for, like, 10 votes. My vote only counts for two because I've only invested a little bit in setting that national pulse. Whatever language we use. But it makes us all at the table have to talk to each other, even the low guy. Because the low guy even, might – that might and, be the swing vote. Too,
1: because, I mean, like, I've watched enough Survivor to know that the person who's on the outs of the alliance this week – if they're not voted out, be careful because now they're the, they're the wild card who you're gonna be lobbying for that person's votes because they're gonna flip the whole script on it. And Michael, to kind of talk about, tie it back to the classroom just to kind of bring this full circle is, we're talking about a game that was designed 100 years ago. And I'm really talking about school now. It was a different era for a different charge. And we have to find a way to get students engaged every day in our classroom where it's not just, hey, we're 10 chapters into a 20-chapter book. Didn't read the first nine? Well, you're screwed, Bobby. We have to find a way to unsuck our teaching to get them back in and say, hey, there is new adventures to bring you in today. And yeah, it would have helped if you read the first nine chapters. I'm not gonna lie, you are at some level of a disadvantage here. But constantly pulling students back in and saying, this is an invitation to get back in the game. You're not beaten down and just waiting for the math to run out because you ran out of money a long time ago. It's, oh, if I just lean in a little differently, I'm a wild card and I can change the strategy here. And because every day is fundamentally different because I showed up and played a little harder, that's all the more incentive to wanna to come in. That's, that's all intrinsic then, that I need to listen to this person, I need to hear this person, I need to understand who that is, and I need to understand more about myself. There's less time on the bench, there's more time in the game, and it really winds up making a better game for everybody. Yeah,
0: I mean, it comes back down to that choice, like. and and even little choices. I know a lot of times teachers use that term, like voice and choice, and that's good that we're giving choice, but I hope you hear on this. These are micro choices. I'm not even saying like come up with three assignments they can use. This is just even within one assignment. Here we are playing the game of Monopoly, but we've infused tiny micro choices that every turn they're making decisions on. That policy deck, imagine if some of those were permanent policies that sit there, so maybe the next round, they could decide either to try to dislodge a policy or try a new one. Right. And it's like, Oh, that's a thing. Like, and maybe I know John's going to be the speaker this year. So like, I gotta like really try to get John to dislodge this thing. That's totally hurting the tech industry or whatever.
1: Right. I mean like and then competing interests, like, Oh, the number six, I've invested in the stock market. I own six, but just kidding. You own the lobby. So six is now forever banned. We're not allowed to roll a six. Yeah. Like, what that's, And now I have to kind of lobby again to make the amendment to put six back in the game or get your voted out of the tech. Like, oh, because you own Google, Google has decided six is a banned number. No one's allowed to use six anymore. It's like, well, that's cool because it's how tech industry influences lobby, influences government, influences politics, influences money. And it's like that is a fascinating escape from reality that would actually help me understand so much more about this world in which I live. Um, So I'd be all in, brother. That's. I really have a lot to learn
0: <laughs> all right the two so i told you i wanted to take out the 200 pass go and yes. here's here's what i want to replace it with john
1: bread lines in soviet russia because this game plays you now. no no
0: <laughs> i want to that that square now begins that's that's tax day my friend That's April 15th or whatever.
1: What sort of sadistic monster are you? You've replaced I get money with I have to give money back to this game. But remember, we've
0: infused way more earning potential throughout the board. I don't have to wait to get three properties because I could instantly buy one property. And the moment I sort of choose an industry to put on it, like, I'm I'm in the earning potentials. Uh, So remember that. Then. Okay go back to what I said in my book, the more rules you have, the more rule breakers you can have. So we sure. need we need to have, because we know, I mean, Amazon last year had like $11 billion in profit that was not taxed. Like yes. put that in perspective, right? So if we're talking about monopoly, we need to have a like category in which there's this huge, I'm going to use the word penalty. It's not a penalty. Taxes aren't a penalty, but like in the game perspective, <laughs> there's a negative, right? And a big motivator in games is the avoidance of a negative. So how sure. much time am I going to spend either hiring if it's accountants or if it's, or if it's making investments, this is actually true business model, teaching people right. reinvestment in the business is a full tax write off. So John maybe made as much as I did, spent every dime he made this year, comes into the taxes, having to pay zero taxes and makes them stronger for the next time around the board. Where like, I'm sitting yeah. on a model of cash oh, but I have to give like 50% of that cash back and I didn't make the investments John made. Uh, Maybe it was better actually to spend a ton of my money.
1: Because we talked about, okay, so I'm learning politics and now I'm also learning finance, but I've also learned at work. Someone's like, yeah, it's the end of the quarter, so we have to have all this money spent or else we don't get it next year. I'm like, that makes no sense. It took me till I was today years old, right, to figure out, no, this is how budgets work. And if you make those numbers, you can reinvest in, like this is how buying healthcare works or reinvesting in your people. And then you could talk about what type of companies you wanted to become, like, oh, if you reinvest in hiring or education funding, that's the type of thing that is a tax write-off. And it's like, oh, that's good. So it helps people understand not just how evil corporations can be built, but how, you know, the noble ones and the good ones can be built, too. And then you really have a lot of choice whether you go to the dark side um, in just trying to crush everybody or you can still take over the world but be, like, the most beneficial. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, it is just very, very participatory, very Im- imitational way to, to create a game.
0: So on that note, you made me think. I didn't have this written down. This wasn't a pre <laughs> pre thought of idea. But uh, some games like Pandemic, uh, you know, a cooperative game. Some other games that aren't cooperative have sort of this doomsday clock effect, right? Where like we all lose if this whatever whatever the game defines this doomsday clock as. And your idea of possibly infusing like NGOs that are doing good work uh, to sort of counterbalance the, the negative sides of big monopolies. I mean, even though we find Amazon convenient, we all know what it's done to our local economies in terms of small businesses. Uh, we know there's a dark side to that. Even though we can continue to like kneel at the altar of Amazon, like right, we still sure. we we still like the convenience of it. Or or take fast food restaurants, you know, like they have destroyed mom and pop restaurants across the United States, but we like the convenience of knowing I know what I'm going to get when I go here. I hate that as a foodie, but. <laughs> Uh, that's a side <laughs> note. It was even hard for me to say that, like even pretend that I like that.
1: But That uh, was good. I was like, for a long car ride, note yourself, don't ask Michael to stop at McDonald's. Noted.
0: Uh, <laughs> but I like this idea of you could build in this doomsday effect where if all the policies lean towards it, right? whether you make it an environmental doomsday or just a social unrest doomsday, if you push it too much and pay the workers too little or what, whatever lever you want to pretend gets wrapped up into that. It would be neat because this also has a game mechanic where there's divided interest. I personally want to be the most soul crushing business that can earn the most money, right? but at the same time, I better watch that Doomsday clock over there. But if I'm the only one that cares about the Doomsday clock, if I'm the only one buying the NGO, buying the this, buying the that, well, then I'm going to lose, right? Then I'm making it a space that John can win. So it's this weird, I'm in it for myself. But when I'm you're, talking in. About that,
1: you're talking about collaboration and compromise and like working across the political aisle. Look, we have to do something that they don't want to see happen. But if we don't do it, we all lose our jobs. So we have to learn how to get with this. Um, you know, there's so many cool things that we can borrow against that's still in the spirit of teaching capitalism, teaching monopolies, teaching business and investments, teaching risk and rewards, but also doing it in a way that says you can play this game totally differently than you played the last game. Like, And that's beautiful. It's not just dumb luck that you landed on Park Place today. It says, all right, my entire strategy, this time I'm going to be a banker from Boston. I'm going to be a trust fund kid. I'm going to be a college grad. I'm going to be a a blue-collar worker. I'm going to be a a mom-and-pop shop. Whatever those things are, those early choices will put me at an early advantage or disadvantage. But it's not the cards that I'm dealt. It's how I play those cards as the game goes through. And I love, love, love the idea of, as educators, committing ourselves to an instructional recommitment to the essential, so that it winds up being a better game for everybody.
0: So that's twice now that John has made it wrapped into education. I really appreciate that. I am so like <laughs> on like the game talk that I I just hope that you're making your own educational connections. But John is absolutely correct. Like taking a moment to sort of look through this, see ways we can tweak. We all have things we do. It's worthy of tweaking it. Uh, but I am going to go back to my initial statement. Sometimes it's worthy of just a jettisoning it and starting to <laughs> bake that cake from scratch. like
1: I won't let that be the last thing you say about Monopoly. We just have to throw the whole thing out. No, there's things that can be salvaged and saved. It teaches us valuable lessons. There's just so much more it can teach us. And I think that's it. If we if we design our classrooms to what they've always taught us, then we get what we always got. But like, what could they teach us? Well then let's lean in, let's push those questions. Let's not just throw it out. Let's find the spirit of where it needs to go and give that spiritual successor. We can call it Matera Monopoly or me whatever. I'm just
0: thing. saying. I am with you. Not everything means throw out, restart, but I'm saying sometimes you, I just think when I got my job, the, the, any of my jobs, to be honest, when you're that true, like outsider, like you had, you don't know what that district is like. You don't know their ethos, right? Like you just, you're new. And especially when I was brand new to teaching, I didn't have any lesson plans. Everything was like a yes. And like. Oh, yeah, I'll do that, John. John's telling me I should do this? Like, yes, and I'm going to try this thing over here. But then eventually, you're there three, four years, and you kind of have your thing. Like, I do this unit, and then I go into that unit, and then, oh, my gosh, they love that unit. And then you start to realize, like, I haven't done new things because, like, you've just sort of created the system, and maybe you do what you're saying. Maybe I re-look and tweak, And, and that is good, and I do that. I want everybody to hear that. Like, I do all of that. But I think sometimes it's important to create that new space again, like I am going to throw out a unit this year and like, what am I going to do from scratch? How am I going to bake that cake from scratch? I think that's a neat thing to remind us veteran teachers of like, yes, you got this down to a science. Yes, you are a good teacher. But remember when you wanted to be a great teacher and you were hungry for like trying and trying and trying
1: this is a debate you just won but in fairness i'm also realizing i have to learn about politics and government <laughs> and finance so i can't learn teaching on top of this
0: uh well i, I guess our post wrap-up is going to take a while but uh, i'm in the the <laughs> uh the reflection time quote here is a bit of a cheeky one i chose to just pull a chance card did you really that's it it's just a chance card let go. The first one when I Googled chance card, this is what that came up. Advanced token to nearest utility. If unowned, you may buy it from the bank if owned. Throw the dice and pay the owner a total ten times the amount thrown.
1: Oh, all right. So Spin it, John. Unsuck yeah, here's it. Here's the thing. Unsuck it. If I had a good marketing team, I would say Actually, this utility no longer serves the public interest. So for that reason, we're going to reevaluate whether we should throw the dice at all. And because we're investing in clean energy, this new resource, instead of paying us or paying them money every time, will pay you ten times what But you have to invest in this company. See, So it's a little bit of a, re, a re, reframe, but I have a level four marketing team who's on it right now. Um, and they're going to make it so that when we land on those cards, we're always really excited because it pulls us further into the game. It just doesn't remind us that we picked the wrong game to play.
0: I dig it. Uh, I'm going to say if I was to unsuck this, I really liked what John said, by the way. So I, I almost want to just piggyback right on there. Boom, let's go. Uh, but I'm going to say one of the areas we didn't really talk about was the utilities. And obviously this would be another area of the game that I'd want us to do a little bit of an overhaul on. Uh, it would be interesting to remain have the, indus- the utilities remain in the hands of the government and maybe to have that be a government deck, you know, like some decisions, how much of those go into the sort of free enterprise versus government uh, and some of the decisions that would come from that. Uh, But that being said, if you just heard me, that means these can't really be owned, right? So what I think it should happen is when you go to one of those or even strike that when you pass one of those it triggers some sort of event. I think that would be fun because more things happening, the better.
1: I I don't disagree, but this has been A, the nerdiest conversation I've ever had. And B, I'm realizing that Michael's game involves more taxes and you have to work harder. If you vote for me, my lobbying firm will get you paid more. And isn't that what we all want? So I hope that's how politics works. Uh, leave a note in the comments. Let us know. <laughs> uh,
0: definitely, I have to say I want to thank everyone who made this possible. Obviously, first and foremost, John, for being willing to come on two weeks in a row. But also everyone else that chose to be sort of active participants of the community. And that's really what I know is most meaningful to John and I both is – We really want to form positive communities, positive spaces. And I I love the XP lab community. I love the well-played community. I know John's adrenaline community is great. And so like having these people come together and actually choose to take a minute out of their day to write that and say, Hey guys, I want to see you try to do this. It, it, both John and I were texting each other, like another one wrote it. It's hilarious. Like, right. So
1: it was good. It was good. And now I feel like I've, I've, I've earned the right to walk away from monopoly for a little bit because I, I gave it an honest shot. And that's good because you don't want a thing to, you know, be half finished when you walk away from it. That engagement, that learning never stops. But to say, hey, I made an honest effort. I put in some fun with it. I'm geeked out about it. I think this was cool. Um, I'd love to hear people's comments on on Twitter and everywhere else. But I I thank you again for having me on.
0: Uh, Everybody, if you want to comment on the episode itself, it's season four, episode 19. It will be up on my YouTube channel. So you can put your comments there or, as John said, on social media. One thing I like about the YouTube, though, is they're there. They're there for everybody else to read. That's fun. They stay. It's like storified. Uh, so can you tell me how to use
1: YouTube after we're done? Oh my God, we have so much,
0: so effort. much. All right. Uh, John, I have to ask you cause you gave yourself a passing grade, but as I, the, the huge monopoly naysayer over here. Yeah. Did I give it a fair shake?
1: I, I think, you know, everyone, I appreciate that Michael made an honest effort today. And if I had two votes to give, I would give my second vote to Michael for, for a, an honest effort today, yes. which is good. Yes. Um, But number one goes there
0: to me. All right. I love it. Everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Well Played Podcast Weekly. Uh, And please continue to share it out. And we're we're just going to have lots of joy this year. More than ever, I really want to center around finding joy in the journey of teaching both in and out of the classroom because we're going to need that. So, John, thank you. And everybody else, peace.